You may be seated. You would turn back to the book of Romans. If you have your Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. But we're working our way through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 5. That is our normal habit to uh, work our way through books of the Bible. We do interrupt that from time to time. But we are in chapter 5 and uh, working our way through the section in 512 to the end of the chapter. Uh, we've had a couple of sermons on this already. I would point you back to those. And then we're going to mainly look at the role of the law this morning in verses 13 and 14 and 20 and 21. But I want to read the whole section to put it into context. So I'll read from verse 12 to verse 21. This is God's Word. <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, much more of the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one, man, by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded. All the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Your spirit must apply your word. So may you empower me to preach it. May you empower us to hear it as the Word of God, to love it, to seek to understand it, to live in its light. Lift high your Son. Accomplish your purpose. Bless the preaching and the hearing of the Word. Build your church. Build your kingdom. And I thank you even this morning for the souls that will be saved around the world this morning because your gospel runs and is glorified. So apply your word to our hearts that we might love you, Lord Jesus, 
and live for you, following after you faithfully and growing in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A new and more powerful proclamation of the law is perhaps the most pressing need of the hour. A low view of law always brings legalism into religion. A high view of law makes a man a seeker after grace. Pray that the high view may prevail. Words of J. Gresham Machen. And if it was true then, it's certainly even more true now. That we need a high view of God's law. We need to see it in all of its depth and power so that we will be humbled and trust and rest in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. See, we have a huge, huge problem. Because of a low view of the law or because of no view of the law, too many people think that they're relatively good. Even in the church. Because we compare ourselves with ourselves and with everything else other than with the law of God and with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, it was true in Jesus' day that many people had a low view of the law. Even the religious leaders had a low view of the law. How do I know? Because they thought they were good. They thought they had made themselves acceptable. But they had the same deadly virus as a lot of other people have, which is self-righteousness. They thought they kept the law, but they were what Jesus called a brood of vipers, and he even called them Satan's children. Jesus said this to them in Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus was hard on the self-righteous, but it was a necessary hardness. Some of them would eventually repent and trust him. But see, Jesus also said that many will go all the way to the grave and to judgment without realizing their true need. Many will live and die with a low view of the law, infected by the virus of self-righteousness, thinking that they have done enough or are good enough to be accepted by God. I was privileged to hear R.C. Sproul preach this text one time, and he said it was the scariest text he knew of in the Bible, one of them, and I think he's right. But watch this. Jesus is talking about the judgment, and look how he describes many people in Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that repetition is a claim of intimate relationship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, what day? Judgment day. Watch this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, you do not want to hear this. I never knew you. Depart from me. Now look at that last phrase. You workers of lawlessness. They were lawless, religious, but lawless. What do you mean? Had a low view of the law. Didn't see the first use of the law. Never were humbled by it so that they hoped outside of themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I want to do today is, yes, highlight the role of the law and everything we've been talking about, but try at least a little way to help you see and have a high view of the law so that you hope not in yourself, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're in chapter 5 of our study in Romans, and we've seen Paul uh, express his desire to go to Rome. In the chapter 1, he's expressed what he's going to be talking about. He gave them his thesis statement in chapter 1, 16 and 17, which is the gospel, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He began in verse 18 of chapter 1 through verse 20 of chapter 3, um, outlining the universal need for a Savior, outlining the universal case of sin. Jew and Gentile are sinful, lost, can't save themselves, need a Savior. He began in 321 talking about the justification, the salvation that, is, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, justification by faith alone. So we've been talking about that uh, from chapter 3 midway through chapter 4 all the way into chapter 5. And we're in a transition point now where Paul is answering some big questions about how did we get to the place where all are sinful and need a Savior and that where grace is free and we find salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God, if we trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will not only pardon us from all of our sin, but will credit us with the righteousness of Christ, making us children of God. So that's what we've been talking about. And we've seen in this section, in the first two verses, how Paul brings a contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. Adam and Christ. And how they're covenant or federal heads of the people. So that in Adam all die, in Christ all live. Right? So we've talked about that twice. I'll point you back to those sermons. Today I want to talk about law and grace. I want to talk about the role of the law. What is the law? Where is the law? Um, what does it do? What did it do? as we transition into the benefits of justification and how, we, how, how then shall we live as we start in chapter 6. Based on being justified by faith alone, how then shall we live? But today, uh, the role of the law. And here's the main point I want you to see, that although the law exposes sin and brings death, grace superabounds our sin and breaks, brings eternal life that in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we kind of skipped over verses 13 to 14 and we did that on purpose but we're coming back to them today. We're going to look at 13 to 14 and then 20 and 21. But first, law and death before the law. Law and death before the law. Look back in, in verse 13 of chapter 6. After talking about sin coming in through one man and death through sin and, and us inheriting guilt and corruption from Adam and all the things we've talked about before, I point you back to that. He says this in verse 13. For sin 
indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Remember our definition of sin. Sin is any lack of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Of the you summarize, Ten Commandments. You want to know what sin is? That is the explanation of it. Every other sin in the Bible comes up underneath one of those commandments. Those are heads or genus of the species of sin. So sin is any one of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. The law of God is our moral standard. Every human being ever created is under the law. And so when he says here, he says, For indeed sin was in the world before the law was given. Look at verse 13. When he says before the law was given, he's talking about the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses or the Ten Commandments, the law in written form for the people of God. It was in sin and death was there before the law was given. He says sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So, there was no moral code before Moses, right? Everybody just got a pass. No, look, well, you know, if we misinterpret this verse, maybe sin is not counted where there is no law. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What does that mean? That sin is not counted It's not that people are guiltless before the law of Moses. How do I know that? Well, they sinned. They were held accountable. They died. They suffered the penalty. You go back and read the accounts. You can see that sin and death is flowing there. But Paul's already told us in 2.12, in Romans 2.12, For all who have sinned without the law, watch, also perish without the law. So you can sin without the law. You can sin without having the written law. There's evidently still a moral standard. Otherwise, there couldn't be sin. And all those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So sin not being counted when there was no law, they were not held accountable to all the explicit revelation that was contained in the giving of the law of Moses. It was not counted in the explicit detail that it would be in in, um, the giving of the law. And you can read that in the Old Testament. But there was still a moral standard and people were held accountable. And it was proved by the fact that not only was sin there, but death was there. Sin brought in through Adam, death through Adam. We inherit guilt and corruption through Adam. And that's proved by the fact that we also then too go and sin and reap the results. But Douglas Moo says it this way, Sin can be charged explicitly and in detail to each person's account only when that person has consciously and knowingly disobeyed a direct command that prohibits that sin. That's just just, right? Think about um, recently Cedar Point changed their speed limit from 45 to 35. Most people don't realize that. <laughs> but if you've been down 24 in Cedar Point. But it was 45 miles an hour, and they changed the law to 35 miles an hour. 
But they still had to change the sign before they could go out there and start writing tickets. So the, the, the law had to be, it would, had to be publicized in detail. But think about this though. If there was no law, then there would be no sin and death. Yet there is sin and death before the written law, before the law of Moses. Sin was indeed in the world before law was given. Look at verse 14. Not, no written law yet, but it says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So you can clearly see that sin was a reality. The death, death was there as a reality. So there was a law before the law. There was a law before the written law. But it, it wasn't as detailed and specific and it was marred by the fall, but it was there in the consciences of men and women, boys and girls created in the image of God. 2.14, we've seen this in Romans already. Romans 2.14 and 15, When the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. doesn't mean they're deciding what's right and wrong. The law is there in their hearts. Look, it says in 15, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Why do you think that it's been a, uh, recognized around the world in various cultures who didn't have written revelation that murder is wrong? doesn't mean everybody believes that or recognizes that or that there are no murderers, but it's because we were created in the image of God and that law was written on our hearts so that we know and are accountable to Him for that revelation and conscience. See this, we inherit guilt and corruption from Adam and that expresses itself in sin and rebellion to whatever law we have and therefore death is reaped by those who rebel against God. See, this proves guilt and corruption was passed on and the guilt uh, results, actual sin results from us being born in sin, resulting in death. See, it wasn't like Adam. He goes on to say that. that. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What does that mean? Adam had a specific direct command that he was to keep. And he turned from that and dishonored God. He rebelled against that along with Eve, his wife. They were sinning. They were sinning against natural law, if you want to put it that way. Law in the heart given by God, but it wasn't the same as Adam who had that direct revelation. And when he was a type of the one to come. Adam broke a specific command. Adam was a federal head of his people. Listen to last week's sermon and all the ways that this section proves that as we go through. Through the one man sin death. Through the one man sin condemnation. All of that. Guilt and corruption is passed on to his progeny. That's why... Uh, children come from the womb lying, Scripture says, that were born in sin, and then that manifests itself in the life. But there was a law before the law, and it was the law in the heart that God had given to uh, human beings as being created 
in the image of God. So we see that in verses 13 to 14. Enough to hold men accountable. We know we've seen that in Romans chapter 1. Everybody knows there's a God. Everybody turns from whatever light they have. Mankind is suppressing the truth in favor of unrighteousness and will be judged for that. But I point you back to chapter 1. That was the law before the law. Let's look at law and grace after the law in 20 and 21. After we've come through this parentheses that Paul uses as he's talking, you see it beginning in 13 up through 17. And then in 18, you could read 18 right behind verse 12 to get to flow. Uh, but we've got two Adams, Adam, in, Adam 1 and Adam 2, Adam in Christ who are representatives, those in Adam, sin and death, condemnation, those in Christ, forgiveness, life, peace, grace. Salvation. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But look at the law after the law in verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in. Now watch this. This is surprising. The law came in to increase <coughs> the trespass. That's what you got to understand. That's part of what you have to understand about the law. What was the purpose of the law? See, this is where the Jews missed it. The Jews thought it, the law was to be the cure for sin and death. They thought the law, God gave the law to counteract the sinful human impulse in mankind. There was a Jewish proverb that read, the more Torah, the more life. So the law would give life. Wrong. Look what Paul says. Look at the first purpose of the law. And we've talked before about the uses of the law. And the law is to show us our need for a Savior and point us to grace outside of ourself in Christ. It, it, a well-ordered society would be based on the law. And then for the Christian, it is a guide into righteousness as long as we're not depending on it for our justification. But I'm gonna, you, you don't really understand the law until you get the first use of the law. You don't understand the law of God until it kills you. We don't understand the law until it kills us. Look what Paul says is that first purpose of the law was to... Look at that. The law, this is the written law, came in to increase the trespass, to increase sin. Now there's a purpose for that. We'll see it. But look at that. Be delivered from all self-righteousness. Be delivered from legalism. Put the law in its proper place. See, we don't understand the law until it kills us. What do I mean? Till it kills our pride, our self-dependence. It shows us that we can't be good enough. In fact, we haven't even gotten started being good when we understand the law. That's how in chapter 3 he could say there are none good. No, not one, because he had a high view of the law. Self-righteousness is not righteousness. It's a delusion. And Paul says right here, the law came in to increase, God sent His law to increase the trespass. What does that mean? A couple of things. I'll give you a couple of ways. There's more you could tease out, but for our purposes this morning, this is enough. Number one, it increases the trespass by giving fuller definition to it. Right? So that we know more about what sin is having the law. 
right? And Jesus helped us with that expansive knowledge of God's law. He says if you hate your brother, if you're angry with your brother without cause, that falls under thou shalt not kill or murder. If you look on the opposite sex with lust, you've broken the commandment of adultery. So depth and specificity of the law, it, gives a, it increases the trespass by giving a fuller definition. That detail we were talking about that was absent before the written law is now there in the written law. That's why it's so stupid to say Jesus didn't say anything about pornography or he didn't say anything about homosexuality or, or marriage, homosexual marriage thing. Yes, he did. Because he taught the right understanding of the law that came from him. So it, it increases the trespass in that it gives fuller def, definition. But here's the, the second part. It actually increases actual sin. It's not the law's fault. The law is holy and just and good. We'll see that in chapter 7. But the sinful human inclination, the corruption that we held, the fact that we have what some call a sinful nature, the fact that we are in the flesh outside of Christ, we respond to the law in a way that is not good. The law actually incites sin in the unbeliever. Albert Barnes said it this way. This is, I, I think I got a quote here. This is a little bit long, but it's helpful. The law expresses the duty of man. It, what the law, is spiritual and holy. It is opposed to the guilty passions and pleasures of the world, and thus it excites opposition, provokes to anger, and is the occasion by which sin is called into existence and shows itself in the heart. That heat of the law starts to melt the metal of the heart so that the dross of sin rises to the top and is expressed. All law, therefore, all law where there is a disposition to do wrong, lost, sinful nature, all law where there is a disposition to do wrong has this tendency. Parents, you know this to be true. A command given to a child that is disposed to indulge his passions only tends to incite anger and opposition. If the heart was holy and there was, no, there was a disposition to do right, the law would have no such tendency. Tell your kids you're leaving the room and tell them not to open the refrigerator. What does that make you? Don't walk on the grass. What does that make you? Makes you want to walk on the grass, doesn't it? The law actually incites sin in rebellious hearts. I mean, we see that in chapter 8 and in other places. That the, 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 those in the flesh cannot submit to the law of God. Wow, before we come to Christ, we hate it and hate Him. Paul says that the law was given not to fix the situation, but to make the sin obvious and explicit and to actually make it more excited. 
So the law wasn't to be the fix in and of itself. See, that's why you can't save yourself by cleaning up your act. And a lot of us have this misunderstanding when somebody's trying to share the gospel with us. We think that we have to go off and clean up our act before we can accept salvation in Christ. That's trying to clean up poo with poo. You ever tried that? Well, changing a diaper might be as close as you get to that, right? Until you actually get something clean going on there, you're just making a bigger mess. What does Scripture say about our our attempts at righteousness from our own perspective? All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags. That's what the law shows us. That's what the law convinces us of. That's how it kills us. Because it shows us there's none good. Not one. There's none who deserves salvation. There's none who can earn salvation. See, God's not going to compare you to Hitler. I don't know if you knew that or not. He's not the sort of base comparison. God will compare us to His law. Has there ever been a time you lived for anything other than the true and living God? Or worshipped anything other than the true and living God? And only worshipped His way? Never dishonored His name, either with your life or your lips? You always honored His day? You've never committed adultery, murder, adultery? You've never stolen? You've never borne false witness? We We know we have. You've never desired the wrong thing. If you just read the law honestly, what, we'll, we'll, what it will do for you is kill you by killing your pride and your self-righteousness, by causing you to see, I am sinful and I deserve condemnation and I need a Savior. I can't save myself. Paul says in, back, we've seen it in chapter 3 in verse 19, that what the law is at first supposed to do. Look, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Many times when you catch your child doing something wrong and you confront them with that, what do they do? They'll either lie or they'll start making excuses or trying to blame it on somebody else. He told me to do it. See, the the law just shows us, tells us to shut up. Just stop. Stop with all of the rationalization. Stop with all of the self-justification. Just stop. Read it honestly. Own it honestly. And realize, not good. Can't save myself, need a savior. So Paul is saying that's why the law, why the law, what was its purpose? Its first purpose was to come in and actually, you know, it's like shooting, uh, you, you have a fire in the kitchen and you spray it with gasoline. By the way, don't do that, kids. It just makes, it comes in and at first it just inflames the situation. Why do you think people get mad at you when they're convicted if you're trying to witness to them? 
Don't be discouraged. Man, I'd much rather somebody get mad at me than just kind of, it's so good for you. Uh Just kind of blow it off. If I make them mad, I'm touching something. As long as I'm not being a jerk. I can make people mad being a jerk. That's a different story. Right? I have that gift. (laughs) God's been working on But if we're sharing the truth of the Word of God and talking about sin with people and they get mad, be encouraged by that because it's striking a nerve. Because if the law is inciting opposition and anger, many times that means God's at work convicting. So don't be discouraged. Don't hold back when you're witnessing. But look at this. The law, therefore, stops our mouth. It shows us our sin. And we're so sinful that we'll even take the law and sin with it. And we'll see how that incites sin and all when we, when we move on in our study in chapter 7. The law was a gracious gift, not to make us righteous, but to show us what righteousness is so that we realize we're unrighteous and turn to Christ for salvation. Why is the church so full of unbelievers this today? <clears throat> because God's commandments, the law has not been preached. People don't know even know what it is. Therefore, they are not really convicted of sin. We've sold them a bill of goods by telling them, come to Jesus and you'll have more money. Come to Jesus and you'll have a bigger house. Come to Jesus and your backache will go away. Your psoriasis will go away. None of that's the gospel. Until we see our need of repentance, we've not started down the true gospel road. And we'll only see our need of repentance as the law exposes us as a mass of filthy garments. As enemies of God. Yes, Jesus died for, right? As those who need salvation. It was a gracious gift given to intensely define sin and excite sin so that mankind, man, women, boys, and girls, would lose hope in themselves and look to God for grace. It was never given to solve man's dilemma. Look at the second half of verse 20. I have some good news for you this morning. Look at this. Just as even more mind-blowing. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, so it increased the trespass. It brought it, it inflamed the situation. Where sin increased, now watch this, this different word, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded or literally super abounded. Where sin increased, grace super abounded abounded that word is emphasizing the excessive degree extreme extremely to an extreme degree to a very great degree to abound beyond measure abound exceedingly sin big problem big situation needs a savior but in comparison to grace small because grace Superabounds. We said last week there's way more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. So look to Him, not to you. Sin is big, but grace is super big. If sin is a lake, 
Some lakes are relatively good size, right? If sin is a lake, grace is all the oceans. Donald Gray Barnhouse said it this way, where sin reached a high water mark, grace completely flooded the world. Grace far bigger than high tide. Look at that. See God's purpose in it. He sent the law to inflame the situation so that, that His purposes would be achieved in His grace to His people. Grace superabounded. It says earlier, the abundance of grace in verse 17. The riches of the glory of His grace in Ephesians 1. Look at this in verse 21. Paul sums up God's purpose in salvation history in verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, born under the dominion of sin, in slavery to sin, Jesus said those who commit sin are enslaved to sin. Jews got mad at him about that too. As Jesus preached a high view of the law to them, you can see what they did. They crucified him. As sin reigned in death, you saw that sin and death before the law. We, we talked about that. So that, the purpose, that so that is a purpose statement. Notice it. We're wrapping up our discussion of justification. We'll transition. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a good thing for God to give us His law. It's a good thing for you to have and know and understand His law. Why? So that God might work His purpose of weaning you from yourself and your own way and your own sin so that you'll be willing to turn and look up and trust in and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign. Delivered from the dominion of sin, Paul prayed, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. How can grace reign through righteousness leading to eternal life in Jesus? Well, we've already seen that it can't be me earning my way there. The way that that grace begins to reign is first and foremost Christ who was formed, who was planned, the redemption was planned before the foundation of the world, prophesied throughout the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3.15, one was coming who would crush the serpent's head. That's the coming Messiah who would accomplish redemption, deliver his people, fix what Adam had broken. And at just the right time, Paul says in Galatians 4.4, he was born under his own law. Why? So that he might fulfill all righteousness. Just to show he was good? No, he is good. And he deserved only blessing. But he fulfilled all righteousness for his people. Never sinned once in thought, word, or deed. Only one who ever kept the law in thought, word, and deed. The one in whom it didn't incite rebellion, but it incited love. It's for his father. So he was born under his own law to save his people. He didn't just come from heaven and boop on the cross, right? 
He was born in a low condition. He lived a life of humiliation. He fulfilled God's law and thought, word, and deed. And then he took our debt upon himself. That cup he was sweating blood, thinking about drinking dry. That cup of God's wrath, do God's people, everyone given to him before the foundation of the world. He would face the wrath of God for his people and he sweat drops of blood. He went to that cross and suffered horribly physically. But the physical suffering was nothing compared to the spiritual suffering bearing the wrath of Almighty God to save His people. Darkness covered the land as wrath was poured out on Christ as a substitute for me, for you, for everyone who's hoping in His grace. I hope you are hoping in His grace. Scripture says He died for our sins. That He was buried. Want to know if it's true? Raised from the dead the third day. The resurrection proves it. It's all true. Many have become Christians trying to disprove it. He's reigning and coming again for us someday. But it says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried And he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's by the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about the Son of God. The good news about Jesus. It's through receiving that good news and accepting Him as my Savior that now grace reigns. God works it all. We know from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that it's all a gift of His grace, not because of our works. God works in us through the gospel to bring us to life, to cause us to trust and turn, and, and He preserves that faith that He's created. But how can I know that grace is reigning over me? It's because I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says it might reign through righteousness. That's the righteousness we've been talking about. The imputed righteousness of Christ. His righteousness credited to our account so that God then looks upon us and declares us righteous because we're forgiven and we're hidden in Christ. Justification is an act of God's grace whereby He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. I hope that grace is reigning in your life this morning. If not, sin and death still reign. But what what was the law sent to do? Summary, going away with, with application, almost done. First and foremost, the law was sent to shut our mouths. Again, I say, you don't, we don't understand the law until it kills us. We don't understand the law. We don't understand why Christ came. We don't understand salvation until we see that we, not that we just don't deserve it. We deserve condemnation from God. Because of our sin. But the law is, 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 is come, Paul told us, to shut our mouths, to get us to stop rationalizing, to stop justifying, and just own it. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
It's the right kind of prayer. If we understand God's law. So stop making excuses. Stop making comparisons. Stop making rationalizations. Own your own guilt. Be slain by God's law. It's a sign that He's at work in you to bring you under the gracious reign of Christ. Repentance is to be preached to all nations, Jesus said. So when we rightly understand that law, we stop our mouths and start turning from sin and self and going our own direction to God in confession and humility and contrition and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. Again, superabounding grace for sinners. Superabounding grace for sinners. You can be forgiven for everything you've ever done, for everything you've ever thought, for everything you've ever said, and for everything you've ever not done and not thought and not said. You know, the law is we must do the righteous thing as well as not do the sinful thing. And that God was sin His Son, we've already seen in chapter 5, to die for His enemies that we might have salvation. But first and foremost, stop your mouth. Number two, sounds like a contradiction, open your mouth. What I mean by that is this. Open your mouth in awe of God's grace. What's the song? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I deserved it all and it was free. No. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Stand in awe of God's grace to you. One who was not good. One who did not deserve good. One who should be condemned. Yet by God's grace you have looked away from yourself and looked to Christ for salvation. So the last point. After hushing our excuses and opening our mouths in awe of God's grace, receive and rest in God's super abounding grace. Justification by faith alone, as we've been studying. I'll conclude with a quote from another quote from Machen and then a quote from a hymn that we sing. But he said this as well, and you'll hear some similarity to the quote above. He says, Making Christ master in the life, putting into practice the principles of Christ by one's own efforts. These are merely new ways of earning salvation by one's obedience to God's commands. And they are undertaken because of a lax or a low view of what those commands are. So it always is. A low view of the law brings legalism into religion. But a high view of the law makes a man a seeker after grace. I pray that you've been shown the true nature of sin through the law and therefore have a high view of it such that you will turn from yourself and be a seeker of grace. Seek and find that grace that is in Christ and Christ alone. And His grace will superabound your sin. I end with this quote from a hymn that we sing, great, good news, grace greater than all our sin, right? Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. 
All who are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. We know that as we have come to Christ, you have given us a sufficiently high view of your law. But as we grow in grace, may we have an ever high view, growing high view of your law. And a growing higher view of your grace in Christ. So that we'll never hope in ourselves, but always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, again, I pray for those not trusting you, listening to me this morning, that you would deliver them from themselves, from their sin, from their rebellion against you. None of us wants to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, Save souls, plant gospel seeds, work repentance, humble the proud. But Lord, for those of us who know you, we're, we're, we're vitally aware that we're not glorified yet. But we thank you that there is an answer for our sin and sin our Savior. And that we have a daily place to go where we can confess our sins. It's called your throne of grace. And we know that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to refresh us in the good news of the gospel so that our love grows in Christ, so that we walk more faithfully, Lord, with you. So help us to trust, not in ourselves or any other thing, but in you and in you alone, for the grace of justification and the grace of sanctification. And eventually one day, glorification when the work is finished and when you return and we know that we'll be like you because you've finished the work you've begun. So we praise you this morning for your awesome, super abounding grace to undeserving sinners such as we are. And we pray that you'd send us forth from this place discussing these things and better sharing these things with those who don't know you. So bless us, Lord. Rest us fully in you. And send us forth in your power with your word to see others come to faith in this Savior who has a super abounding grace for the lost. Lord, we praise and thank you this morning. And we ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.